Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato, and this week we are joined by Jackie Shelton, organizer of the Reno Women's March. She chats with a new indie intern, Tabitha Mueller, and photographer David Calvert. Later, reporter Michelle Rendells sits down with Tabitha and our other new indie turn, Jasmine Orozco-Rodriguez, to talk about last week's No War in Iran protest that happened in Reno. At the end of the episode, reporter Megan Mesterly and I chat about a new movie that she enjoyed. But first, let's hear a few indie stories that were read on the radio by Jasmine for our partners over at KUNR Reno Public Radio. Originally from Jackie Valley. Two charter schools in northern Nevada are adopting weighted lotteries to give children from low-income households greater access. The Nevada Charter School Authority approved weighted lotteries for Doral Academy in Reno and the future Pinecrest Academy in Sparks last month. They will be the first charter schools in the state to use a weighted lottery. In late 2017, Nevada's Legislative Commission approved a regulation that allows charter schools to use weighted admission lotteries, which give preference to students who are economically disadvantaged, have a disability, or are learning English as a second language, among others. The weighted lotteries approved last month will boost the number of students from low-income households by essentially giving them two tickets in an admission lottery where other students have one ticket. 26 states have laws that either explicitly allow or appear to allow weighted lotteries. With the Nevada Independent, I'm Jasmine Orozco-Rodriguez. This report comes from Shannon Miller. A contentious $30 million, 10-year marketing deal between the Southern Nevada Water Authority and the Las Vegas Raiders is back on the table after months of delay. However, several members of an advisory panel tasked with reviewing the agreement have raised questions about its cost-effectiveness. The multi-year contract meant to help water conservation efforts would include digital and physical advertising, in addition to other outreach perks involving Raiders branding and team members. However, business and conservation voices on the Integrated Resource Planning Advisory Committee brought up several concerns about the contract, including its target audience and unpredictable outcomes and customer behavior. There are also concerns the proposed outreach and marketing efforts do not guarantee that customers will conserve more water. Officials say the marketing campaign would allow the Water Authority to reach an estimated 169 million impressions and would yield an annual average estimated water savings of 900 million gallons. With the Nevada Independent, I'm Jasmine Orozco-Rodriguez. All right, so today we are in the studio with Jackie Shelton, the organizer of the Women's March, and also David Calvert, who takes photographs for the Nevada Independent, and then I'm Tabitha Mueller. Um, I'm an intern this year. And so, Jackie, would you mind telling me a little bit about yourself and your role in the Women's March? So I am a native Nevadan. Um, I work in advertising and public relations and event management. I actually got involved with the Women's March the first year, four years ago, and somebody asked me to just be on the committee and help. And so I did, and it was amazing and wonderful. And we had, I think, 13,000 people show up, which was high across the country, and let alone for a city our size. And so I've attended the last two years, and then we had an idea for how to make this one bigger and better, and so they brought me back in to do that. And somehow I ended up in charge. We're still not exactly sure how that happened. (laughs) And when you say that you had an idea to make it bigger and better, can you talk about that a little bit? So I started this thing called What Can I Do in 2000, well, December 2016, and it was um, speed dating for nonprofit organizations and people who want to help. So we'd bring all these nonprofit together, nonprofit organizations together in a room, and then people would go from table to table to talk, to talk to them and find out what they needed as far as money or time or board members. And then the volunteers could make a decision on how they could give back. 
right? Because everybody wants to help, but they don't know how. And so um, somebody came to me this year and they said, you know, the Women's March is amazing because you have all this energy, all these people marching, and then what? You know, they hear a couple of speeches and then they go to brunch. And so we said, how do we harness that? And so we combined the two. And so we rented the Reno Event Center this year. We've got about 100 nonprofit groups and candidates that are going to be set up in there. So at the end of the Women's March, they can go in and talk to people and figure out where to put their energy. Yeah. So I want to go back kind of the genesis of the march and why you decided to start an organization for nonprofits. Take yourself back to 2016. Um, I was... I was around a lot of people who were who were a little bit beat up um, after the last election, after the 2016 election. But everywhere I went, people kept saying, I need to help. I want to help. What do I do? I want to help. And I realized for myself, whenever I've been sad, giving back is, is a way to help me personally. It's very selfish. And But at the same time, all these people were saying how they wanted to give back. I had all these friends who worked in nonprofit organizations saying how much help they needed. And I thought, well, let's just bring them together. So the election was November 9th, 2016. We had our first event December 3rd, 2016, so three weeks. And we had 35 nonprofit groups and about 300 people show up. And it was amazing and wonderful. And you saw all these people come together and hug and, and cry and help each other. And it was like, okay, let's keep doing that. How have you personally been able to maintain momentum? Organizations like that often don't last four years. Well, and it, and it didn't. I mean, we had, we had nine events that first year. Um, and we started seeing fewer and fewer people show up. And I didn't want to burn out the nonprofits. And so we had four events the next year. And then last year, we actually didn't do any. Um, I was kind of, I had some big ideas and then kept hitting roadblocks and it didn't feel right. And so we went, okay, let's just take a break. So we didn't do any in 2019. I got approached in August of 2019 with the idea to merge them together. And I went, oh, that's why. That's why. Because this takes such an amount of energy to put this on that we needed all of that. For this for this giant event. And you say that it takes a lot of energy. What kind of motivates you to get behind and, and put so much time and effort into something like this? So I have always been a um, little bit of a Pollyanna as far as let's make the world a better place, right? What, what can we do to make the world a better place? And I feel like a lot of people are like that, but they may not know it. Um, because again, you can't, you can't give up. You can't just say, okay, the world is terrible. I'm going to go watch TV. The more that you do, the better you feel. And obviously, you can't do that all the time. People need breaks. Um, my The people I know who work in nonprofit who are such heroes because they're doing this day in, day out, and a lot of times such a thankless job. And it's like, how do we, how do we help them? How do we make their job easier, you know, while helping ourselves at the same time? I think understanding that we can make a difference. And if we can make a difference, we need to make a difference. Who are some of those voices that you've worked with in the last year that you're going to see on Saturday um, or those organizations that uh, have really been instrumental in helping you get this together? So the in indigenous women, for example, and, and indigenous women have always led the march. The, the jingle dress dancers have always led the march. And I have I love that, but I didn't completely know why um, that was happening. And I found out. So, of course, um, indigenous women are the first women 
you know, when we're talking about the history of our country, they're the first women, so they should be in front. Um, but one of the things that we are shining a light on is murdered and missing indigenous women. And I didn't know very much about that. And I learned yesterday, actually, from some professors up here on, on campus that I think... I hope I'm right on this. I think they said 5,000 indigenous women went, in the United States went murdered or missing in a year. That is a crisis of epic proportions, and nobody's talking about that. And so if we can shine a light on that and find out why and what is happening. And when you say women, you're talking about babies to 80 years old. I mean, this is a big deal. And so learning about that, it's like, okay, what do we do about that? How do, how do we help fix that? And then, you know, we have an African-American woman on the committee, and we were talking about security at the event. And I was like, oh, we need, we need security. We need, you know, and in my mind, I'm thinking cops, uniforms, because we need to let people know this is secure. And she said, you know, back that off, because we don't want to discourage people from coming um, who, might be, who might be bothered by that. And so it's like, okay, thank you. Didn't think about that. So I went and met with the security force, told them our concerns. Um, they're going to make sure we have um, the security are going to be in plain clothes, and we have people of color out front in from the security division. And one question: as as so, the march started in response to Trump's inauguration, and last year I think it celebrated Nevada State Legislature's first female majority. What is a goal for you for this march? What are you hoping to celebrate or accomplish? So what we're celebrating this year, so February is the 100th anniversary of Nevada ratifying the 19th Amendment, giving, and again, white women the right to vote, not everybody. So we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of that. We're celebrating how far we've come, and we're celebrating how far we still need to go. Um, Our theme is when women thrive, we all thrive. And the idea behind that is the better women do, and obviously men too, but men already, you know, have this. Um, the better that women do in our lives, in the workforce, in our community, the stronger our families are, the stronger our community is, the stronger our city, state, national world. And so this is about empowering women to be the best we can be. And again, we're not just talking about adult women. The Girl Scouts are coming out. We've got a lot of organizations bringing out girls. And that's a good reminder, again, of why we're doing this. You know, reproductive freedom doesn't really affect me anymore, but it affects it affects the my nieces, you know, the young people in my life, their, their children, their, you know, my grandchildren when I have them. And so it's like, it's a good reminder of what we're fighting for. But one thing that's it's interesting. It, it was in response to Trump um, originally, but we're celebrating now. We are celebrating the power of women, and we are celebrating the power of our community and how we can all work together to all be better. And um, one thing that I noticed is that this year you guys have been saying that the march is nonpartisan. Sure. We have invited – so we have one section of the event center where you can reach, uh, talk to nonprofit organizations and find out more about them. The other section, and these are separate for a reason, we have candidates. And you can go in and talk to candidates. And like I said, we have representation from all of the um, presidential can- the, the, the nas- most of the national presidential candidates, of course, they're all natural, national, um, that you can go and talk to them and find out what, if you want to volunteer for them, if you want to vote for them, if you want to caucus for them. We set out the welcome mat to all candidates. We, we send emails to everybody of all the different parties. And we have, you know, we have nonpartisan races and then we have, you know, partisan races. But we did invite everybody. And is that something that's different from the past, do you think? Or Well, we've never invited 
candidate. We've never had candidate tables before. This is the first time. And so when we started talking about that, we said, you know, we need to, again, if this is for all women, then we need to invite all the candidates because that's, you know, it's, it's, we don't all think the same and that's a good thing. And one question I had too, is that uh, the March kind of focuses on women's reproductive rights as well as other issues. And does and do you think the march leans towards a pro-choice or is it more just getting people informed? Well, I mean, it definitely there's progressive leaning, definitely, and I think that's just the nature of it. So most of the issues, um, and again, and I have a hard time thinking of these as political issues. I told somebody today, anything that involves humanity, I don't think is a political issue. If we're talking about you know the rights of of gay people to adopt, or you're talking about the rights of of Hispanic people to exist you know, or, or Muslim people to be able to walk down the street without getting attacked. That's not a political issue. This is, this is basic human, being a human being. And we will fight for that. And I think, I don't know, using political terms, that does sound, that does lean left, but I don't think it's a political issue. Is there anything else that you think people should know about the march that maybe hasn't been discussed or shared? Well, one of the things that's been so interesting is how many times people have asked me if men are invited or if men are allowed to come, um, which is funny because how many times in the past was it are women allowed to come? And now, and the answer is, of course, men are allowed to come. We welcome men. We love men. We want everybody to come. And we want, um, you know, all ages, all everybody should be at this. I had somebody on uh, the Facebook event ask if conservative women were invited. And I said, absolutely. Again, we're all different, which is amazing and wonderful. And this is about everybody, making everybody better, lifting everybody up. Beyond the caucus happening and what's going to happen in the immediate future, how do you think the Women's March has impacted, uh, say, the 2018 election, the fact that Nevada is represented by two um, female U.S. senators and that we have a, uh, a female legislative majority? Do you think the, that's a result of this kind of movement? I think it helps. I think it definitely helps. Um, I've talked to people. So I've always been active in politics. I've never missed an election, but I've never been an activist in elections. Um, I'm talking to people who have never voted before, who, you know, after the 2017 Women's March, who'd never voted, who showed up to march, who registered to vote, who were not, I mean, they were holding up a sign. They were actively involved. And I think that that's had a huge effect not just on getting women elected, but just in general, getting people involved. You've seen a lot of women step up who are, you know, I, I had one woman actually who, she, who she's running for a Congress. Women's March was what changed her life, she says, and that, now she's running for office. So it's not just voting or being involved. It's understanding we have power. We have power, but we have to use that power. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. So I, I think it's t- had a huge effect. And I don't want to in any way imply that women are better, you know, in any way at any of this. But you need a voice. You need to have representation of the people that you're representing. If you have white men in power and your base is not just white men, then that's a problem. And so the fact that, you know, Catherine Cortez Masto is also Latina, that's fantastic, you know, because she gets to represent different groups. And then looking ahead to the caucus... Not necessarily um, where you stand on a specific candidate or, um, you know, the march is open to uh, all of the candidates you've invited them. But how do you think 
this might affect uh, turnout. Well, my, that's one of my goals. So as soon as so I, I get a massage on Sunday, and then Monday I start working to get people to go to caucus. And we're going to be doing that at the Women's March as well. It's, um, it's hugely important. Nevada is third in the country to caucus which we're going to have a say in deciding who the Democratic candidate is. We are the first in the West. We're one of the most um, ethnically diverse caucuses. It matters. And people need to, to step up. And I keep, you know, keep saying you need to caucus for who you want to be president. Go and stand up for them and, and fight for them. Um, one of the things that's really good about caucus this year, which we need to really make people understand, is they don't have to go to caucus. They can do it early, just like early voter, reg- you know, early voter um, at at the grocery store. And it's just really important that people participate in this process and help make their their feelings known. And what might you say to somebody who said, my vote doesn't really matter, and so what's the point? It's funny, and I can't say them off the top of my head, but I have heard so many stories. Actually, um, I think it's Skip Daly, is an assembly assemblyman from um, Sparks. I think he won by 30 votes. It was a handful. Yeah. Yeah. He was one of the people, you know, I had a list of people. I was going door to door before that election, and he was on that list. And it's like, okay, we helped get him elected. There's been plenty of times like that where somebody has won by just a handful of votes or even, you know, a thousand votes. And if a thousand and one people decide that their vote doesn't matter, then that changes. And then it doesn't just change who the person is. It changes how they legislate. We actually have a program that I'm really proud of, a uh, printed program that we're going to pass out at the march, where we talk about why it matters that Nevada had a female majority legislative body. What happened because of that? What kind of bills were passed because of that? And again, it's about representation. Um, there's things that, that you don't understand unless you've been there, unless you've experienced it. And so people, it changes. It changes our laws. You know, who you elect changes our laws. What do you want Nevada, maybe specifically Reno, to look like in 10 years? Wow, that's a hard question. Um, I think Reno looks amazing now. I I think that we have an amazing city. I've been here my whole life. I've watched it as we've got, you know, more arts and more culture and more, you know, concerts and music and and activism and love. And And I just would love to see that continue happening. And if we can, and, and having people be involved, having people understand what they can do to make a difference. I, I hope in January at the next Women's March, what we're doing is, is having some form of what can I do, you know, where we're, we're letting people, here's, here's what you can do, because I don't, I don't want that to stop. You know, we, we need to keep doing it, because the more that I think sometimes we get complacent, and we think, oh, the world's fine. I can't, you know, it's good. It's, even if it is good, even if it's wonderful, it can always be better, and our involvement makes it better. All right. I don't have any more questions. Do you, David? No, I'm good. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you. This was super fun. (laughs) Hi, this is Michelle Rindell's reporter and assistant editor with the Nevada Independent. I'm here today with Jasmine Orozco-Rodriguez. Hello. And Tabitha Mueller. Hi. Both are interns with the Indy for the spring semester, and we have really appreciate having them on for now two weeks. Um, they're doing some great work, so I hope you're reading the Indian and finding all their stuff. Um, but what we wanted to chat with them today about is an event that both of them attended the first week of their internship. It was a protest near the Believe sign in downtown Reno, and this was basically a peace rally. Um, it was just a couple days after the U.S. had fired 
missiles at uh, Iran and killed uh, General Qasem Soleimani uh, at the airport. Iran fired some missiles in retaliation at uh, some U.S. troops. And uh, so far, things have calmed down just a bit in in this situation, but we've seen a lot of action in terms of... um, the House has passed, you know, a resolution seeking to sort of restrain President Trump and his ability to carry out these strikes without their prior approval. Uh, we're seeing that that faces sort of an uncertain future in the Republican-controlled Senate. But uh, maybe there's perhaps some movement even among Republicans who are, are unhappy with what's going on um, in terms of Trump's actions toward Iran. Uh, So potentially we'll see some action on that. That's called the War Powers uh, Resolution. So, Jasmine, I just want to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of the stuff that you observed at the protest. Uh, It was a really cold night. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It took a while to thaw my hands out after that peace rally. But yeah, uh, when we first arrived right around 530, um, there weren't that many people quite yet. um, But a lot of the people who were there did have signs And they were doing kind of like sign marches and doing photos and that. And then as soon as we got into the um, the speakers, I would say that was when the crowd really started to fill in a little bit more. Yeah, it just seems like everybody was pretty frustrated and felt, I don't know if I would say scared, but... Well, and we interviewed people and they, they said, you know, they're ter- one one um, interviewee that I'm thinking of, he's a U- I think he's a UNR student, and he was said he's terrified. Um, and some people were terrified. Some people were a little bit more hopeful. I think there was a range of emotions that people were, f- were feeling. But I think there was just this general sentiment that no one wanted there to be a war in Iran. And, and at that point, the I think the hashtag they used for the event was hashtag no war with Iran. And, and that was the point of the rally. So there were a lot of feelings that people had coming in, kind of gathering together under this overarching sentiment that they didn't want war. You guys both got some reaction uh, from folks on just that visceral reaction. How did they feel when they first heard that there was an exchange, you know, of aggression between the U.S. and Iran? Let's listen to a little bit of that audio. Yeah, my name is Brian Fair. And how have you kind of been feeling this week as events have been unfolding? Uh, incredibly anxious and uh, frankly a little triggered because I am a combat veteran. Um, I actually was in Al-Assad 15 years ago. Um, and uh, to just see to see the same things happening that led to the war in Iraq, the same senseless lies and manipulation occurring to get us into a situation that the Irani people don't want and that we don't want is sickening. My brother's still active duty. He's in the 82nd Airborne, and he could be there at any moment, and it's I, I've seen enough carnage personally, and so has he, and so have too many, for something completely unnecessary and wrong. Uh, my name is Eli Johnson. Uh, I'm 22. Um, I think it's absolutely disgusting. I, I'm old enough that, like, essentially my entire life since I've been conscious, we've been at war in Middle Eastern countries for oftentimes very nebulous reasons. The fact that we very possibly could enter into another one that is given no tangible results to anyone in the United States and just led to millions of dead and displaced. Is, it's insane to me. There were military veterans who were speaking at the event, and which was hosted, I think, by Indivisible Nevada. There were, there were a lot of 
things that they said, but something that really struck out to me was there's it's a it's a quote from McGovern. yeah McGovern and and he said there's no way that people will stop thinking of of ways to kill our young people and I think that was something that was on the minds of a lot of the attendees that night. One of the things that seemed to stand out was a lot of people were drawing on experiences uh, from living through past wars. Perhaps it was you know Vietnam or perhaps it was the more recent actions in Iraq and Afghanistan that are kind of still going on. What are some of the observations that that you guys made for, from the crowd about how these other wars are coloring people's impression of this conflict with Iran? I think the the past history of other wars that we've been involved in have left people feeling really confused and like they don't completely understand what's been going on. And then there's also a lot of frustration in the people who were at the peace rally saying that, you know, we're being lied to. And I, th- I definitely think that stems from the wars we've been involved in in the past and people just not really feeling like they know or understand what's going on. And there being frustration about that because there's, you know, there's so many active military that are, are losing their lives over that. And I think they're also, yeah, the why it's happening and the confusion over why there was a missile strike in the first place. And we asked a couple of people, you know, I did, and, and we said, well, how would you respond to people that said that Suleimani should have been assassinated because he posed a threat to the country? And this was some of what they told us. Okay, Suleimani is not a good guy. Okay, there's no question about that. However, we don't know who's going to take his place. And the timing was horrible. All it was was a distraction from impeachment. So we just don't, you know, that's the wrong reason. The absolute wrong reason. And, you know, the way it was done, we have a process. Congress needs to be involved. That's a law. He can't just go assassinate people. You know, that, that we're not a third world dictatorship, or at least we're not supposed to be. And what would you say to somebody that said Suleimani needed to be killed because he was a threat to the U.S.? Uh, being a threat to the U.S. It has no moral weight. Uh, I mean, there are thousands of, like, empires that have stretched back throughout history that have had people who are threats to them. That is nothing to say if what those people were doing was right or wrong. Furthermore, even if you think Suleimani was a bad, bad person, as many people seem to do, uh, that does not mean we have the right to murder him without a trial. When we killed Suleimani, he was on a diplomatic mission to a a country we were allied with, Iraq. Uh, That's unbelievable. That is really an unacceptable act by our military that is as barbaric as it is nonsensical. And what, um, what have you been feeling last week? Terrified. I, Why? It seems as though we are pushing to do whatever we can to escalate towards a war with Iran, just like we were this summer when we were doing like flyovers of their country with drones, with military jets. It really seems as though this administration and this government is thirsting for a war with Iran. As many people have been saying, we have been for 10, if not 20 or 30 years. The point you brought up about people being confused about maybe the causes of this uh, conflict, I think, was echoed in a statement that uh, our Senator Catherine Cortez Masto made last week about 
this situation, saying that the briefing that she got, uh, classified briefing, was cut short and really didn't answer a lot of the questions and really didn't maybe lay out a plan for where is this going? What's the next logical step for the country? Um, so I think that's one of the main reasons Democrats are citing for, for being kind of upset over what they're seeing happen. Can we talk a little bit about the group that put this on? How would you describe who was at the protest and and who's really speaking out against this conflict in Iran here in Nevada? I think two of the speakers were veterans, if I remember correctly. And so I think, you know, them show being um, half the speakers or almost half of the lineup shows that there are people who have been maybe, you know, stationed in um, the Middle East before and who are now feeling really kind of frustrated that it hasn't ended and that it's still going on. And we're seeing I, I, a lot of the signs that you guys took photos of were were just people really upset at Trump yeah. in general. I, I'm, and I think Indivisible is, is a group that's very active on a lot of issues with tr- with Trump. Um, I believe they were the ones that organized a rally they you did. Know, a couple weeks ago about impeachment. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think, too, is, is that was something as well is that it was – yes, it was protesting the war with Iran. But a lot of people are talking about their frustrations with the president himself. Um, there was one person who mentioned that, you know, he's being impeached and he's already a liar. So, you know, and kind of going off on, on that as a, as a factor in their, in their frustration and anger. Well, uh, I encourage you guys to read the D.C. download. That's Humberto Sanchez's weekly recap of all this stuff that's going on in D.C., what's going to happen with this war powers resolution and the situation in Iran, as well as what's going on with the ongoing impeachment trial. So uh, stay tuned with us on the Indy. And uh, thanks so much for your time, Tabitha and Jasmine. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We are here with 2020 lead reporter Megan Messerly. How's it going? It's going great. Fantastic. Good. And you have been running around like a chicken with your head cut off covering all the campaign events, but you also found some time to watch a movie. Yes, I did over the the holiday break, which uh, was lovely. I think I saw five or six movies in the theaters. It was great. What movie are we talking about today, though? We are talking about the motion picture of 2019, Cats. <laughs> it's a very bold <laughs> statement, Megan. I, uh, it was robbed that it did not receive a Best Picture nomination. <laughs> no, actually, I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't go quite that far. <laughs> I feel like the critical reception has been that this movie is terrible. Yes, that is that has been what the critical reception <laughs> is. That is true. Let me let me read a couple short critical reviews. Okay. Uh, here, here's one from the Boston Globe that just says, my eyes are burning, oh God, my eyes. <laughs> uh, here's one from The Beat that says, cats is the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs. <laughs> and from the LA Times, cats is both a horror and an endurance test. Uh, <laughs> you know... No, I'm sorry. I just don't agree. So so what what about cats did you enjoy? Okay. So I think going into this, and this is my perception from the beginning, the initial pushback when the trailer came out, right, was, oh my gosh, these are humans that look vaguely like cats. Why would we why did we CGI cat ears and fur onto human bodies? And it's like it's kind of sexual, kind of uncomfortable. Sure. I mean, they're human bodies that are look vaguely like cats. Yes. Um, okay. So my initial thought going into the trailer, though, was 
how else are you going to do the movie Cats, right? The, the original Broadway show, that's kind of just how the cats look, right? They have human bodies, but they, you know, have fur on them. They have fur in their hair. They have ears. They have, you know, this elaborate makeup on their face. That's kind of just what the cats look like in the musical. So it would have been weird. It would have been weirder, I think, to animate, you know, an actual physical cat um, and have those cats running around and singing and dancing than it is to have the humans. And I think it stays true to the original uh, musical to do it that way, even though I get, I get why some people might have been jarred by it. And in, in, in the movie is about like this one magical night, right? Yes. All these cats come alive and yes. they sing these, these songs. The Jellicle Ball, yeah, yes. to get to the heavy side layer. Sure. <laughs> I, I was in theater in high school. Uh-huh. I, I did four years of theater. Uh-huh. I, I feel like I have some appreciation for musical theater. Yeah. Um, but this movie just did not seem to interest me. And uh-huh. if anything, again, I think I might agree with the Boston Globe just from viewing the trailers with, oh my God, my eyes. Uh-huh. So so one thing I would say for anyone who is on the fence about seeing this movie is I would say, listen to the music. If you're not familiar with the music from Cats, you should listen to it and see if you enjoy it think the songs are fun and catchy um if you you know can again sort of accept and appreciate cats the musical for what it was um you know i, I think you'll find that you enjoy the movie if you but again if you <laughs> if you can't sort of accept the premise of what the stage musical was and if you don't like the music then you're probably just not gonna like the movie right this movie's bringing a stage play to the theater and, yes. and maybe it didn't do it as effectively as a stage play would have done but it's making a stage play more accessible to a broader audience. Right. And one, it's always hard to, to translate something that was designed for the stage to a movie. That's just historically hard to do. And I think it's hard to do effectively. But I don't think it detracts from the enjoyability of the movie. And yeah, I think I think the point of accessibility is a really important one in that, you know, in the day and age when it's $200, $300 to go see Hamilton, right? Um, you know, most people can't afford that even a movie ticket, like $13, that's still pretty expensive, but at least somewhat more accessible, right, than having to drive to the nearest big city to go to the theater to see the show. Um, you know, if you don't have community theater near you, that there's really not a good way to, to sort of access musicals in place. So I think from that perspective, um, you know, I appreciate that we've seen more musicals coming to the, you know, to the movie screen, even though, not always perfect and i wouldn't say it's a perfect substitute but i i think you can still appreciate you know cats on on the movie screen even if it's not what it was on the stage well i don't know if you've convinced me to see it in theaters but maybe when it comes to netflix or something yeah, I'll, netflix. Uh, I'll, exactly. give, I'll give it a watch yeah all right megan well thank you so much for uh, for enlightening us on your enjoyment of the movie cats always always Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. I'd like to thank Jackie Shelton for joining us on the podcast, as well as Michelle, David, Tabitha, Jasmine, and Megan. I'd also like to plug a few of our upcoming events. We will be one of the sponsors for the Democratic presidential debate taking place on February 19th, so be sure to tune into that. We are also having a pre-caucus Game of Thrones-themed event in Reno at the Nevada Museum of Art on February 20th called The Caucus is Coming. If you would like ticket information, you can visit our site or our Facebook page. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you can do so by searching for Indie Matters on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you get podcasts. If you have comments, criticism, praise, or want to tell us why Cats is great or terrible, you can email me at joey at thenvindie.com. And if you want to sponsor the podcast or an indie event, email editors at thenvindie.com. Reno band People With Bodies does our theme music, and you can find more of their music on Spotify or Bandcamp. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm Joey Lovato, and we'll talk to you next week.